0: Hello, and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson. I am the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, we're into trade season now. It's deadline week. It's crunch time. How you doing?
1: Doing great. It felt kind of quiet there for a while, like home before the storm kind of thing. And now it's uh, okay. There's some, some thunderstorms breaking, you know. There's stuff. Okay. It feels like the <laughs> mass is finally starting to break a little bit yeah
0: yeah timely considering here in arizona we're getting plenty of thunderstorms this week too and right as things are picking up in the trade market here um oh, yeah. things are as as you would expect as things pick up in the trade market they're picking up for us as well on btv and so we just want to drop some quick announcements here before we get into the episode john and i have been on for about a half hour <laughs> kind of hashing out our schedule for the week how we're going to handle things um first and foremost i'd like to uh let you all know that we are performing our last round of updates this weekend, our pre-deadline updates here. Um, we'll be prioritizing some of the players more likely to be traded, but we're going to try to get to everyone um, this weekend so that we'll have everyone with the most accurate value possible reflective of their... Uh, in-season statistics to this point as we head into the last week before the deadline. Um, as a reminder, the deadline is this Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. It would typically be on the 31st, but it was bumped to the 30th so that it wouldn't be during all of those Saturday day games and all those you know, players getting pulled mid-at-bat, whatever. Um, and we're actually going to try something a little bit fun and different this year. So we are going to be shooting for 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific time on Monday, the 26th of July, we're going to be shooting for our first ever baseball trade values live stream over on YouTube, and there will be a lot more information on that to come. That one will be a little bit more casual. We're just going to be kind of testing out our format there um, and seeing seeing how things are going to go with the hopes of being able to live stream for at least a portion of the deadline or a portion right after the deadline on Friday. So we're gonna kind of play things by ear with that, see how it goes, but go ahead, mark your calendars. We'll be tweeting about it, might post something on the website about it over the next handful of days. Uh, But yeah, we'll be on the Baseball Trade Values YouTube channel, which actually has yet to be set up. (laughs) But as soon as it is, a link will be provided both on Twitter and in the show notes of this episode. So once again, that's Monday. 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Come join us. It's going to be pretty casual. We can answer some questions. We'll run through if there's any significant news between now and then, maybe some of the bigger player updates. We'll kind of treat it like a uh, like a live version of the podcast in a little bit. So if you like what we talk about here, you're going to like what we talk about there. Make sure you come through. It'll be a lot of fun. Okay, so from there, let's get into the episode itself. We have, as John mentioned, we're starting to get news. We're starting to get a couple big trades here and... Who would have guessed it's the Tampa Bay Rays starting us off Yay. by doing a couple of a couple of kind of weird ones in, in, in a way, especially for them, maybe a little uncharacteristic. So let's start with the biggest one, where the Rays kind of broke things open, acquiring Nelson Cruz from the Minnesota Twins as part of a, a four-team deal. So they acquired Cruz, designated hit, hitter, um, a rental, so only two months left on the contract, as well as minor league right-handed pitcher Calvin Foucher in exchange for right-handed prospects, pitching prospects Joe Ryan and Drew Strotman. So as far as the values go, we had Cruz at $4.4 million in median trade value. We had uh, Foucher at 0.1, he actually wasn't in the system, he's a 25-year-old reliever in AA, with some, you know, major league potential there as a reliever, but still very limited, more of a throw-in than anything. Uh, as far as the return to Minnesota Drew Stropman at 2.4 million he uh has been kind of a riser lately um so he's he's a guy to kind of keep an eye on there but he is already on the 40 man roster and then Joe Ryan on our website he was mistakenly coded as 11.4 million in trade value that was just a, a human error that's me um, he, yes <laughs> <laughs> my bad but uh, the, uh, John handles so much for the site between he does a lot of the prospects he does most of the relievers the starters he, he does so much it, it's one of these is bound to slip through the cracks every once in a while so i think i forgive the error john and i'm, oh, I'm assuming everyone else does as well <laughs> so uh, on the on the site he was coded as 11.4 he should have been six just based on uh kind of the prospect um inputs that we use to create our values for prospects so um a, a, as as punched into the site it was not accepted by our model but when using the numbers that our model actually should have produced based on the inputs and everything if you if you remove the little error there it was a lot closer so uh ryan at six dropman at 2.4 makes it 8.4 heading to the twins versus 4.5 heading to the rays still an overpay by the rays but i think that's a little bit of the consensus here um cruz as a designated hit hitter he's not going to put up the war numbers that you would expect from a hitter of his caliber down the stretch because he has the pretty heavy dh penalty there um so that limits him a little bit but it seems like the rays were willing to overpay to get that big stick in their lineup um and they they moved a couple you know potentially superfluous pieces from their um from their farm system they're pretty deep in pitching prospects and we've talked before about how the Rays always have a roster crunch and they're always looking to shuffle guys out that are set to be on the 40 man as I mentioned Stroutman on the 40 man already Joe Ryan was going to have to be protected from the rule five draft added to the 40 man roster this off-season, and so that's two spots now that they can open up for a couple you know prospects that they might believe in a little stronger and at, yeah. on the same time they pick up probably the best rental bat available if, if you're talking just pure offensive value there so i i think i like it a lot on both sides i think the twins did really really well to get a couple of near mlb ready arms in exchange for a rental like cruise and especially for the twins who think they're gonna rebound and contend next year <laughs> joe ryan and Drew strotman could be pitching out of their bullpen next october and it wouldn't i don't think it would shock anyone too much yeah
1: no it's a great return for minnesota uh, no matter how much the overpay um i wasn't surprised at all because i figured tampa was the leading candidate to get to, to get crews mm-hmm. and they have so much prospect capital to your point like this doesn't even make a dent in their system um <clears throat> and and then as we talked about on last week's podcast we mentioned tampa bay has is having a forthcoming roster crunch they've got so many guys who need to be added to the 40. this clears two of a, one that's already on and one that's needed to be on mm-hmm. <clears throat> Um, behind the scenes, it raises a question. So I went through recently and with and, and <clears throat> you know, um, adjusted a lot of the values for guys who needed to be put on the 40 that were would be rule five eligible. But there's always some subjectivity there. Like, where do you draw that line? Guys who were like, you know, in our system, you know, in the twos and ones, and you know, those are obvious ones. Who probably don't need to, or are less likely to be protected by their teams, but anything above that—that that one, let's call it two—is questionable. <clears throat> and so we had Ryan, and and, and you know, as we mentioned, who should have been at six. And I'm thinking, okay, well, you're not going to just r- try to risk losing a guy who's worth six million, right? So you're—he's going to be added to the forty somehow, some way. But there's sort of a, an interesting twist here because if it gets traded, you know, somebody else might have more spots to, to add him to it than somewhat than some other team who has another rest or crunch so that's a factor here as well <clears throat> if i'm if you if i'm making any sense
0: yeah definitely um the, okay. the rule five draft has always been kind of complicated and kind of tough to gauge every year you know they, especially mlb.com occasionally fan graph baseball america whoever they'll put together their list of you know the best prospects that went unprotected and it's like wow look at look at the talent here there's some there's some names here that are kind of a big deal and yeah they might be a little farther from the big leagues or they might have struggled in double a last year or whatever but like there's a lot of value here if a team would pick this guy up in the draft and then you go to the rule five draft and it's there's a couple of those names that get taken but it's also a bunch of weird 25 year old relievers or whoever yeah yeah and so i've long thought that (laughs) the rule five draft has been is maybe one of the last remaining market inefficiencies that maybe teams should be a little bit more aggressive there because the true cost of you taking a guy and oh no he didn't work out I have to send him back is you paid the like uh, I yeah. believe it's only like a ten thousand dollar fee or something I know only ten thousand but we're talking we're talking yeah, monopoly I mean, money in the big leagues here yeah. um, it's a ten thousand or twenty five thousand something like that fee uh, for selecting a player. And then obviously the forty-man spot, so that's probably the the bigger holdup for teams. Why teams aren't more aggressive in the draft is they just don't have the forty-man space to take everyone interesting because they need to protect their own interesting guys, and they need to have you know twenty-six spots of guys that they're confident can be on their major league roster. Mm-hmm. But I've always I've always thought the Rule Five draft's <clears throat> a little inefficient, and it seems like uh, it seems like the Rays. I don't know i don't know if they would agree or not <laughs> they, they just yeah
1: well it's it's all relative to the the prospect capital that you have right yeah um and they have just too many guys who are over two and mm-hmm. need to be protected so they're gonna have to clear some of those guys out or yeah. add them and that causes a kind of a bumper car effect of mm-hmm. okay somebody else needs to be traded so <clears throat> um but but i just wanted to sort of finish the point so the highest yeah. i've seen uh, the highest value guy I've seen taking the Rule Five Draft was last year, where the Pirates selected, I believe it was Ho- Jose Soriano from the Angels, and mm-hmm. he was in the threes. That's the highest one I've seen. <laughs> um, okay, so then you think logically. All right, anybody under three, yes, they're probably their value is going to decline if they're Rule Five eligible. Anybody above three, you can sort of assume that you know they're going to be added because nobody wants to lose that much value. Um, and, and and the second point I want to make is in the Mike Clevenger trade to San Diego last year, I had mistakenly had that bar higher. So Gabriel Ari, uh, Arias, Arias was one of the pieces that went to Cleveland, and we had docked him for being Rule 5 eligible, but that actually – like if we had that – that trade would have been a perfect match because we docked him. It was like off by three. So, um, so I think, okay, well, he was at like eight or something, you know, and then he should have been, he should have been like 11. Right. So like, that's too high. Right. So they figured, okay. And, and sure enough, the Indians did, um, guardians, I should say, the, uh, they added him to the, the 40 right after that. So, um, so my point is <clears throat> anybody below three, let's say is, is, is probably, their value should be discounted quite a bit because they're Rule Five eligible. Anybody above three, typically not. So in this case, circling back to the point, Joe Ryan was above three. He was around six. So we figured he'd be added somewhere, some way to the forty. Um, so that's why he's at six. But if if you if you wanted to make that bar even higher, you could have discounted him. But I don't think that's wise.
0: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think there's something of a rolling scale there, and I believe that's what you talked about uh, in last week's episode about some of your Rule Five updates there, where. It's not necessarily as simple as just here's the cutoff point if you're above this, no mm-hmm. no adjustment whatsoever because, you know, there's the slam dunk prospects where like, yeah, like uh, an Adley Rutschman type, if he, if, I don't think he'll make it to being Rule 5 eligible, he'll probably make the big leagues before then, but if he's in Triple A <coughs> and Rule 5 eligible and kind of knocking on the door of the big leagues, like, yeah, his, his value's not going to change at all because he's on the 40 man because he was going to be added to the 40 man in two months anyway right when they called him up but for any younger guys and any less like slam dunk type guys being at, uh, being rule five eligible is never a good thing for your value because even if it's like okay, even if you're one of those higher value guys that's going to be protected no matter what so it's not really a question and and doesn't really move the needle too much it does mean you're starting your clock because as soon as you're added to the 40-man roster to be protected for the rule Five draft in order to be sent back down to the minors, you have to burn a minor league option. And right. we've talked a lot in the past about how valuable those options are and how often being out of options can dictate a trade and how much that hurts a player's value. So that's, right. yep. that's something else to keep an eye on. Maybe not so much in this case as well, because um, as we mentioned, both of these pitchers are you know near major league ready. I believe they're both in AAA and performing pretty well there. So yeah. maybe not the biggest consideration here, but just in general with the Rule 5 draft, when you're talking about... Some guy in High A that needs to be protected. Well, you figure he's going to be in Double A next year, Triple A the year after that. That might be two options you've already burned. Yeah. And yeah. now he's on his last one, unless he's given a fourth for whatever reason. So it's just always, like I said at the beginning here, Rule Five draft, very con- complicated, a lot of moving parts there. And we, uh John does the best he can with. Yeah, uh, exactly. With so
1: so so, but yeah. Long story short two guys who need to be out of the 40 or already on the 40 were the ones who were traded by Tampa because they need clear roster space done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
0: But, but like we both said, we, I mean, I'm a fan of this for the Rays because they are moving from surplus and they're getting a really big bat that they've had their eyes on for a while. Mm-hmm. And I love it for the twins as, as hard as it, is, as it is. As I mentioned before on this podcast, my old roommate, a big twins fan and, I was texting him about this all day, and as hard as it was for him to lose Nelson Cruz because he's been really a mainstay there, huge fan favorite, huge clubhouse favorite, um, you, you have to be happy with the return there as well.
1: Yep, uh, I agree. I think they did well. Both teams did well. One is up, going for it in the present. The other one is loading up for the future, so mm-hmm. good news.
0: And I, and I have to add that I think there's a higher chance than usual of... This offseason, Cruz actually heading back to the Twins. You, you kind of hear about it a lot with these rental types, especially the like moderate to big names. Uh, when they get traded, they say, yeah, of course I'd I'd consider heading back. You know, I think we heard it with John Lester when he was traded to the A's. He said, yeah, I'll consider going back to Boston. Ended up going to the Cubs. And it's usually just kind of like lip service, I feel like. Yeah. But Cruz has been such a phenomenal fit for the twins and as i mentioned before the twins aren't punting they are trying to gear up for 2022 and he's still really really good and he wants to keep playing for a while so i i see the fit there for sure and, and i'm not saying it's <laughs> it's locked in or anything but i think it's a lot more likely than the typical
1: player in this situation <clears throat> yeah i agree he seems to love it minnesota so he very well may be back twins fans <clears throat> <clears throat> all right so
0: now um Part of the curious thing of this deal at least from kind of the outside perspective was that the rays didn't get any salary relief here they didn't uh, the twins didn't eat any of nelson cruz's salary that the rays took on the remaining about five million a little under five million and that's not typically their mo you know they're a low budget team so kind of felt like there might be another move coming and there was this morning and it really caught me off guard. <laughs> um, so the Rays went ahead and flipped Rich Hill to the to the Mets uh, in exchange for right-handed pitcher Tommy Hunter and minor league catcher Matt Dyer. So as far as the values here, we have Rich Hill at zero. Excuse me. We have Rich Hill at 0.2, Tommy Hunter at 0.1, and Matt Dyer at 0.1. So perfectly even there. Fair trade on both hands. Now, Rich Hill. is a bit of an enigma. He's kind of bounced up and down a little bit this year. He had an awful start to the season. He had a great stretch there where he was posting double-digit strikeouts and I think, four or five consecutive starts, something like that. And then he's kind of had his struggles since. He's he's on the wrong side of 40. We all know about his injury issues, uh, but we all also know about his upside. So it's kind of a... (laughs) It's a weird gamble for the Mets of all teams to take as their back-end starter uh like high risk high reward kind of thing like you you figure a team with their kind of injury history might not be the first to line up for rich hill Mm -hmm. but the talent has always been there they are just looking at him as more of a back-end arm kind of try and get them to the point when the rest of their starters are healthy and and maybe he bumps into the bullpen at that point i don't know but and it it didn't cost them all that much like as i mentioned it was a, a bit of a salary relief type deal for the rays um They're saving a little bit of money on this now. Granted, Tommy Hunter is also uh, making a little bit of money, uh, and he's he's on the injured list right now, may or may not pitch again this season. That's a bit of a question mark. He seems more like a salary offset type piece. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, above all else, it really seems like the Rays wanted to open up some rotation spots, some roster spots for some of their younger prospects that they, everyone has their eyes on Shane Baz right now, mm-hmm. uh, but there's a couple others in that system that they might want to get some looks, might be a little more productive than Hill at the major league level, and as, as a as a bonus in it, they got, it seems like a prospect that they might like a little bit, even if he is a bit of a lesser name in Matt Dyer, so a weird trade, but as I mentioned, the values line up and it makes sense from each team's perspective. Just not the kind of thing anybody would have seen coming heading into the deadline here.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think it's two things, a little bit of salary offset and a little bit of the but more so the roster sort of hmm. issue. Um, just bringing up that spot to your point. Um, also, hey, they just brought in a 40, 41 year old. They just sent out a 41 year old. There's only so many 41 year olds you can have on your team, apparently, in Tampa Bay. <clears throat>
0: yeah there were i I saw some rumblings on twitter yesterday about you know when's the last time there was a 41 year old hitter in the lineup and a 41 year old pitcher on the mound or something like that and it's a little disappointing that that never came to fruition here uh yeah
1: yeah now this one just feels like sort of a need-based sort of thing each team just Mm -hmm. sort of matching up and you know it's a little operational oriented not 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 the most exciting one
0: Mm-hmm. And the Rays continue to do this. It's, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone anymore. They do this all the time, where mm-hmm. they're buying but still selling some Major League pieces at the same time and shuffling their roster all over. They traded Willie Adamas earlier this season, and I know that's mm-hmm. a little different because they had Wander Franco sitting behind him, but that's not something a contender would typically do. <laughs> so, Right. and. and and as I'll always say with the Rays when they acquire a reliever, it's, it's pending health here with Hunter, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's starting a game in October for them as, as an opener or something right. weird. Right, right. Um, because they just, they're, I, I there's got to be a little bit more, I think, to Tommy Hunter than just salary offset. I think they do see something if he is healthy, and mm-hmm. they do think they can get some value out of him, because that's just kind of how the Rays operate, they always they don't they don't pick up relievers for no reason they pick up every reliever very very intentionally yeah uh, but it's all going to hinge on his health and that's very clearly not the main purpose of this trade because like i said he might not pitch again this season right okay <laughs> so this uh this led to a question john posed and that we'll both <laughs> give our best shot at answering here so who are our other dark horse trade candidates like who Every year there's a couple that surprise, and there have been some reports that, you know, this year we might see some more major league pieces being shuffled than usual, even between contenders like this. So there's bound to be another couple names that surprise us. It's not just going to be the, you know, the obvious trade chips that get moved in the next handful of days. Um, so who, who who's one of your picks, John, as kind <clears> of under <throat> the radar big
1: name that might get moved? So a guy that nobody's talking about, maybe I'm exaggerating, but I haven't seen much buzz is kwang yun kim of the cardinals uh starting pitcher really been on a really good streak i was just updating uh starting to update the starting pitchers the last time and his value has climbed up to 7.7 he's a rental um and uh he's pitching very well um so if the cardinals decide to become sellers now typically they don't sell off their core pieces but he's kind of a sort of a he's i wouldn't say he's a core piece for them but if they decide they're not in it it's not that hard for them, and they'll get some value out of it so and and given the starting pitching market if if they do decide to sort of dangle him i think to be a lot of interest given the way he's pitching lately so keep your eye keep your eye on kim
0: <laughs> yeah that's a really good call did you can you name anyone other than kim and wainwright in the current St. Louis Cardinals starting rotation?
1: Mm, not off the top of my head, no. But I know there's like, they're they're cycling in Jake Woodford and Johan Alviedo and guys are trying out. And I don't know if Gant's been starting or leaving. You never know with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, so, uh, so it's you, yeah. <laughs> so you got
0: those two, which is better than I could have done without sitting here looking at the roster resource depth charts. Yeah. Um, Wade LeBlanc.
1: Oh right! They picked him up somewhere back in a month or two ago, just for uh, yeah, getting zero. 30, Thirty-seven-year-old
0: Wade LeBlanc. Uh, let's uh, let's take a quick little look here. He's got a 4.31 ERA, which is sort of Wade LeBlanc-ish for them. The, the 5.37 FIP. His fastball is averaging 88.1, which is higher than I would have guessed. Um, I don't I don't have anything to say there. Just just Wade LeBlanc. Yep. Right. Okay.
1: Um, <clears throat> So, I mean, the Cardinals have been very quiet, like, you know, they're not in it, they're not out of it, but it's starting to feel like they're going to be out of it. It just doesn't feel like they're a year, so I can see Kim being moved as one of those surprise deals on Thursday or Friday of next week. I
0: I didn't follow your rules very well. <laughs> I didn't okay. pick just a couple names or anything. I, I started out picking up a couple specific names here and then kind of shifted to this team is weird and on the bubble, let's see what they might do. Mm-hmm. And so, starting with the Cardinals, actually... Um, I look at I look at Tommy Edmond, and he, he might be more of a building block type piece for them. I don't know exactly how they view him long term, but he has a lot of value. And teams are going to need infield versatility at this deadline, as they always do, but it, it's just a more attractive thing. And I'm not in any means think he's likely to be traded, but he could be one of those weird ones that really just comes out of left field and brings back, you know, maybe a young starter to the cardinals that can kind of you know it's kind of one of those buy sell type moves where it's shuffling their assets because they have a little bit more on the infield and maybe they can afford to lose some of that and add to the rotation i don't know that one was kind of more spitballing than anything Mm -hmm. Uh, but while we're talking about the cardinals i think matt carpenter has a little bit of a chance to be in some weird you know player Mm -hmm. to be named later cash considerations type deal Mm -hmm. um his I, his ex-WOBA and his like batted ball numbers were still really, really good, even as the rest of his numbers look pretty bad. Mm-hmm. So I could see a team gambling on him as a left-handed bench bat, similar to like the Rugnet-Odor trade that the Yankees mm-hmm. made earlier this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see that for sure, but that, none of that's none of that's too exciting. <laughs> yeah, um, no.
1: Interesting calls, yeah. I, I, team... No, I go sorry, ahead, though. go ahead. I was going to comment on, on Edmund. Edmund. Um, yeah, he seems like such a Cardinals way kind of guy, you know. Like mm-hmm. it's hard to see him in any other type of uniform, especially since he's still young and under control for so long. It's like I don't know if the Cardinals ever make a deal like that. Mm-hmm. I, <clears throat>
0: yeah, I see where you're coming from there. Uh, <laughs> he is yeah, no. definitely one of those Cardinals Devil Magic types.
1: <laughs> right,
0: right. um Another team I'm really interested in, and. and... I swear these are the only two like team wide ones I have. Then I'll actually okay. get into a little more specific names. But another team I'm really interested in is the Phillies. Mm-hmm. They're also on that kind of weird bubble. They're a game mm-hmm. under 500, four games back in the division, but they have some talent there. And the Mets haven't really run away with it. So you could, you know, it's it's going to depend how they perform these next handful of days. But I look at a guy like Andrew McCutcheon. That could be pretty interesting. That's another really strong. Historically, a really strong bat that could be moved. I mm-hmm. mean, um, he's having a pretty solid season. He's obviously not much of an outfielder anymore, so you're looking a little bit more at American League teams there. But you look at, I don't know, the A's missed out on Nelson Cruz. Maybe he could be a DH for them, uh, as Mitch Moreland has struggled, but has been picking it up a little bit more lately. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just kind of kind of spitballing there with McCutcheon. He's in the last year of his deal, I believe. Um,. i thought
1: yeah i I think you're right forcing you to double check aren't you Yes. okay (laughs) he has an option next season yeah which Uh, is not going to get picked up yeah yeah
0: i'm I'm not sure just off the top of my head if there's a buyout on that but either way you know the phillies can make something work money-wise there but he's a little bit interesting and, and they have a couple other veterans that could be you know Didi gregorius gene segura um who they segura they discussed in some trade conversations during the off season and he's rebounded and been pretty solid for them this year so they could maybe get a little something for him there Mm -hmm. um they don't they don't have a whole lot else on the roster that i have my eye on you know we've as it is every year their bullpen's a disaster (laughs) um zach wheeler not going anywhere aaron nolan not going anywhere but i think they have a couple hitters there that could be interesting if they decide to sell yeah
1: no segura is a good call i think somebody could use him um you know, it's always a question. Dave Dombrowski has always been kind of a win-now guy. Like, is he going to go for mm-hmm. it this year? And there, there was
0: just a report that came out that said that he was willing to go over the luxury tax if yeah. in, the right, in the right
1: situation. Yeah, yeah, but they are definitely a bubble team, and you never know where they're coming or going. Like, oh, yeah, they're, they're getting closer. Oh, no, they're not. Yes, they are good. No, they're not. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to make of the Phillies this year. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, All right, do
0: you, do you have another name before I, I get into my last few?
1: I have one more, admittedly, way out of lo- left field, way out of long shot, but I just thought... I'm excited. Seeing, uh, Brandon Lau <clears throat> of the Rays. Huh. And the reason I'm, I'm interested in that, because they brought up Franco, they brought up Bruhan, although they just send him down, but they've got like, they've got Wendell, they've got like too many infielders, right? And they need to make room for these guys if they think they're going to play them. And meanwhile, you got Brandon Lau, who's a very productive player and an extremely high value he's sitting there, he's, he's occupying second base. So like, where are you going to put Bruhan? Um, where are you gonna put, you know, like, I don't know how they're going to fit all these guys in. And so he seems like, like the Rays tend to trade guys when they're at the apex of their value. And, mm-hmm. and so, okay. <clears throat> but the problem is he's a long shot because I don't know who's going to pay that, that surplus yeah. value price for him. He's got a lot because of that total team friendly, friendly contract. But maybe you think, eh, Farhan Sadie be interested in the Giants because they don't really have a second baseman? You know, like, okay, you really have to kind of st- squint and think about it a bit, but, like, I'm only looking at it from the Rays' perspective. Like, you know, we just talked about their roster crunch issues, and they've got so many guys coming. Like, ah, geez, that's like a, an embarrassment of riches to have Brandon Lau as well, but, like, you know, I, I, I don't know what you do there. So, um, it's, it's a long shot, I totally admit, but it's... It's something to keep an eye on.
0: Yeah, that's 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 what we're going for. We're going for long <laughs> shots right now, right? Yeah, yeah, right. That's a that's a really interesting one, though. I mean, we have at sixty point one in median trade value right now, and obviously that's very high. That that type of player doesn't get moved too often um, at, at that level of value. But I think I think the Giants is a really interesting call. Um, a guy who I might have said for this question if there wasn't a report yesterday saying he could get traded and that kind of takes him out of, you know, dark horse contention here, but Joey Bart, uh, between, between the resurgence of Posey, they drafted Patrick Bailey the year after Bart. Um, they, they seem, and he's, he's struggling in the big leagues a bit. It seems a little bit, extra for them. He's a guy they could move if they really want to make a big splash like that. Yep. Um, and the Rays, you know, they haven't had a lot of stability at catcher. Um, right. Zunino has been, um, he was an all-star <laughs> this year, but he's an all-star hitting 198, <laughs> with this weird, crazy power surge. And yeah. he, I believe they have him under control next year on a team op. Yeah. Might, yeah. Um, and, and the way he's hit, they're obviously going to pick that up, but he's not, he's he's into his 30s. He's not going to stick around forever there. Bart could be the real long-term solution and, and he seems like the kind of guy they would target, you know, yeah, buy right. low on a former formerly the best catching prospect in baseball. So I could that right. would be so fun. I I kind of want that to happen now.
1: <laughs> yeah. So but it's tricky because I don't know. I don't want to get too far into this, but the yeah. the the Giants you know, you would think we're going to keep, I could see Bart being expendable, but you would have to put in another big piece to get the loud. And I don't know if they would want to do that because they're Mm -hmm. keeping their eye on the next few years when those guys are coming, you know, Mm -hmm. um, Elia Ramos and um, who am I forgetting? A bunch of other top prospects. So I think that Luciano, yeah, Marco Luciano. So like, I don't, I don't see Sadie trading those guys. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, anyway, um, so like i said it's a long shot but i don't know I mean, the, the rays have potential sort of log jam in the infield that the, they're looking at taylor walls is it short and you know brujan and franco and Lau and wendell like i don't know where you play all these guys so mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> yeah. uh this whole this whole discussion was already kind of a tangent from the rich hill trade news but let's hop <laughs> off on a little like sub tangent here really Sounds quick, good. because i want to talk about um a couple players on the cleveland guardians That news dropped this morning. Um, Little behind-the-scenes BTV um, news right here. I uh, I overslept (laughs) very poorly today because it's all stormy. And, you know, I usually wake up, you know, when the sun comes out and it wakes me up. But overcast, stormy, I overslept like crazy today. Woke up to a thousand notifications on my phone. One of them was an email from John titled Rich Hill. That caught me off guard. (laughs) Uh, The other one that caught me off guard was... A bunch of notifications from MLB, from Twitter, whatever, about the Cleveland Guardians. So they've they've chosen their new name. I think I think it dropped yesterday that they had chosen the name, but it was Mm -hmm. unknown when they'd announce it. And they just went ahead and announced it today. Um, We've already made the change on our site. Mm -hmm. I I'm gonna start calling. I know they're technically still Cleveland Indians right now, uh, but I'm gonna be shifting to calling them the Guardians going forward. Half because I don't love their former name, and half because. I need to get myself used to Guardians. It's gonna take a while. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, what do you? What are your just knee-jerk reaction thoughts on the name, John?
1: Um, I am fine with it. Um, I know there's always gonna be haters, you know, and they think, oh, that's a corny name, you know. Guardians of the Galaxy. They're gonna have a comic book sort of, you know, look. You know, <laughs> I, I don't care. I mean, I know there's some history there, and they had a, you know, expensive Tom Hanks narrated video, to kind of explain it. Um, you know they've got this uh, monument thing on a bridge that is you know the guardians of traffic and that's the connection mm-hmm. i'm fine with that but I, what i especially love as kind of a, a you know there's a part of me that's kind of interested in wordsmithery if that's a word um but the indians you know and the guardians you've got the mm-hmm. the tail end of the you know th- it, th- that same, that's nice... sounds the same exactly like it, it,
0: it has the same flow to it the same cadence. exactly that's what I'm looking for. exactly
1: and so i'm like yeah i like that best of all so i i don't feel strongly about it either way i'm just glad they have a new name finally
0: i don't feel strongly about it either i do appreciate that this news has caused all of twitter it seems like to reflect on how awful every team name is (laughs) that's right we have three names i'm pretty sure it might even be four we have three teams that are named after (laughs) colors of socks Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's the white Sox, the red Sox, and i believe the reds originally um...
1: were the red stockings yeah
0: exactly yeah Uh, that's i don't get that (laughs) yeah right um and then you know there's the athletics which there's a histor- there's a history there you know the Philadelphia Athletic Club whatever right but so many teams i saw some tweet that was like this is just a reminder that the only good team name in baseball history has been the devil rays and they gave up on that after <laughs> like a few years so now they just all suck and i could get behind that <laughs> but as far as within the context of baseball team names i'd say guardians is you know about average i don't love it don't hate it um i like you said i i do agree that it's it's cool that it kind of keeps the same cadence that they used to have yeah right. um, and I did really like that one logo that they dropped the one with the the baseball with the wings or yeah I, right. that that one was kind of cool the other ones I don't know they, they were a little it, it was the the like font guardians that they uh, this is a horrible thing to discuss on a podcast by the way because y'all cannot <laughs> see what we are talking about but <laughs> they were the like script guardians logo that they you know, okay. Says the word guardians. The G wow. in that looks way too much like the C in Cleveland, and it looks like like at first glance it looks like Cardians. Like mm, yeah. <laughs> I don't love that one, but right, right. Anyway, right. anyway, aside, it's it, <clears throat> you. You did say it's been. Uh, reflected on the site correct yeah
1: actually it was a very easy change thankfully our our site is constructed in such a way to change the team name okay and then it filters around it everybody on the team now has that so that that was nice um sweet so if you ever get lost
0: looking for cleveland in the in the simulator or anything just know it's under it's under guardians
1: and and it in in the back end on our spreadsheets it's still in the same same spot (laughs) that's great yeah, it's right after Giants and right before uh, what is it? The Mariners. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> um, don't no change there either. Um, that's, but I, that's great. I, I did laugh at one tweet and like, come on, people of Philadelphia, you you had the creativity to call yourselves the Philadelphians, like the Phillies, right? <laughs> and then my favorite one is, you know, if you translate the Los Angeles Angels, it's really the the Angels Angels. <laughs> yeah, okay. It could be worse. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. It is far, far from the worst <laughs>
0: team name in baseball, let alone in sports. So I'm, yeah, right. I'm content with it. It's it's cool for a couple of the reasons we discussed. And and yeah, that's. Yep. <laughs> uh, but the, the whole point of that tangent was I have a couple players I want to talk about on Cleveland. Because they've also been one of these teams that kind of mm. in recent years has been kind of by sell at the deadline. Yeah. So my eyes are on two of their players on Zach Plesak. Because they've they kind kind of have a revolving door in their rotation. It feels like it feels like every deadline they trade some like mid to front line starter, and reshuffle major league pieces with the return kind of. I think Pleissack could be that guy this year as they kind of fall out of the race a little bit. I think they're nine games back of the White Sox, and it's, so it's like wild card or bust for them. And they got a few teams ahead of them in the wild card race. So Plesak is still young and good. He also has you know ruffled some feathers I think in the clubhouse a little bit. Um, he had his, you know, the the COVID violations last year, and I, I believe there was some other incident that popped up this year that I'm, I'm blanking on a little bit oh, right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, so I could see that for sure. He's He's got a lot of talent. A lot of teams would want him, especially with how weak the starting pitching market looks this year if, if the Twins hang on to Barrios and the Nationals might hang on to Scherzer. Um, so I could see that for sure. And then Ahmed Rosario is a guy who was discussed a lot in the offseason as, okay, The after all these trades, Cleveland has a few too many infielders here. Maybe Rosario to the Reds or the A's or whoever was discussed in the offseason. Um, now, he's not necessarily looking like a great fit in Oakland, but I could I could see him to the Reds maybe as, as their shortstop going forward, because they, they still haven't really solved that situation. Um, Granted, we've discussed in the past how – we've discussed in past episodes how Trevor Story's market is so difficult. And and part of that is the money stuff, but it's also just because there aren't huge needs at shortstop across the league right now. Um, And so that could play in a bit with Rosario, but I I still could see that coming.
1: Yeah, I – all right. Uh, Rosario, I think, is a little bit more likely. It's interesting – I was thinking about this the other day. The the Indians – sorry, Guardians return on um, the Lindor trade. They got two shortstops. Right. And at the time we had Jimenez at like 28 and Rosario at like seven or something. I don't remember. Um, and in a way they've kind of flip-flopped. I think Jimenez hasn't been playing much and, and there's now a question of whether he can hit at the major league level. So his stock has gone down. Rosario has been hitting and playing more and his stock has gone up. So in a way they've kind of flip-flopped in the, in the depth chart. Um, You know, Jimenez, when they were both on the Mets last year, Jimenez beat out Rosario. They'd kind of, Mets kind of soured on him. And now the opposite seems to have happened in Cleveland. So (laughs) these guys are like, you know, doing a little dance here. Um, But, um, so you wonder, like, is Cleveland thinking Jimenez is the future at shortstop? Um, One of those two guys has to be, I would think. Um, There's also been a question in the past about Rosario's defense. They've tried it at center. They've said, okay, maybe he's a utility guy. I don't know. Um. But he has been improving this year, so, um, you know, it it, it it does, you know, I think the question there is, you know, who is their future source? Not, but they, they have to answer that first, and then whichever and, one isn't is the one that they would trade.
0: And they do have some other options as well um, coming up the wings. We yeah. talked about Gabriel Arias a minute ago. He's in AAA. Yeah. Um, Owen Miller is another name that's getting uh, also was he in that same trade as well yeah yeah the Um, Cleveland trade yeah I mean the uh,
1: Padres trade yeah yeah he's probably (laughs) a bit
0: more of a utility type but he's Mm -hmm. also kind of knocking on the door there and he's a little older so he might be a guy they want to get an opportunity sooner than later Mm -hmm. um and they just have a pretty busy infield in general. Nolan Jones is one of their top prospects. He's a third baseman. Um,
1: Tyler Freeman is hitting yeah. cover off the ball this year. He's probably a second baseman long term, but you know he could play either either spot right now. So yeah, you're right. They've got an infield and, crunch.
0: And as we discussed in the last episode, they have a big roster crunch coming up. Forty right. man crunch. Exactly. So that yeah. it might be time to shuffle some guys around. And, and I don't know exactly what that looks like. I don't know if, if I'm suggesting they're trading Ahmed Rosario and Zach Plisak for a bunch of 18-year-olds that they won't have to add for another four years. I don't think that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but they need to do something, and those are the two guys that kind of stick out to me as the most likely um, at this point. I, I guess you could also say lump Cesar Hernandez in there a little bit, maybe call him even a little more likely because he is... You know, not as much of a building block type piece. The rental, um, too. Yeah,
1: if they give up, then I would think he'd be on the block, yeah. Yeah,
0: but I, I have my eye on that team for sure. I We've yeah. spent a little bit <laughs> longer on this than I think okay. we planned on, but I just have a couple names to just quickly run through. Um, I'm going to... I had Blue Jays written down here. I'm not going to go too into it. Just... I. Lourdes Gurriel and Randall Gritchuk, they're kind of in both in weird spots in their careers. I could see them doing something creative where they flip one of them for a bat, or mm-hmm. not for a bat, excuse me, when they flip, flip one of them for an arm. Um, the values, they've both tanked a little, or Guriel has tanked, um, mm-hmm. I know, in recent years. Gritchuk has been kind of up and down uh, mm-hmm. because he's got, he's on a fixed, they're both on fixed contracts, and we've talked mm-hmm. before about kind of the relationship between on-field value and fixed contracts there, um, and Gritchuk has been kind of, up and down in his on-field performance, so that means his value is doing the same thing, and Gurriel has just been kind of a straight-down arrow. <laughs> but I could see them getting creative flipping one of those guys for an arm. Mm-hmm. Um, one name, I, one team I really wanted to be able to say, but I just don't feel confident enough, is Miami. Um, they've been playing this game the last couple deadlines, where they trade like a young, homegrown starter to address some other need on their roster. And you look at them right now and you see Trevor Rogers and Sandy Alcantara that kind of fit that mold. Mm -hmm. But at this point, they're running a little bit thinner on MLB pitching depth. And those guys are looking like more of the ones that they chose to build around. So I don't think it's super likely. It would be fun. And like, honestly, the last couple deadlines, the Zach Gallen and Caleb Smith trades have been two of my favorite ones just because they came out of left field. But don't think it's super likely there. Mm -hmm. um and then the last name i wanted to mention that i could actually see in it would be a it would take a weird um a weird chain of events a weird trade to make it happen but i could see the a's trading jesus lizardo Um, yeah
1: i could they've kind of soured on him (laughs) they
0: have and it's obviously a low point of his value but he has been uh, performing decently in triple a even though he's pitching on the moon in las vegas Mm -hmm. um He's been rebounding a little bit there. Even his MLB performance, like, there's nothing that suggests that he's just bad now. It, I think there was an article on Fangraphs about which pitchers get burned more on kind of when they miss on their mistakes. Um, and Lizardo was right up there saying that, you know, there's no reason that a guy that throws 97, 98 should give up a home run every time he throws it down the middle. So maybe he's had some bad luck there. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of reason to believe in Jesus Lizardo going forward, Sure. Uh, but the A's also have a pretty, their the rotation has been pretty solid without him, which is a little bit surprising because uh, yeah. he was kind of ticketed to be, you know, he's going to take a step forward and be their number one, number two this year, mm-hmm. um, but everyone else has been very good without him. <laughs> he's, he's still kind of uh, could be seen as a key factor down the stretch if he either comes up as a reliever or as a starter he could really be a game changer for them in trying to help catch houston but he could also be a game changer if they can trade him for i don't know maybe some kind of package of a slugging outfielder and a reliever or two there's they have holes on the roster that they're going to need to get creative to address because they don't have a lot of money and they don't have a lot of prospect capital right and i think he's he and puck are the two guys that you could see being flipped in that and Puck's stock is all over the place right now too Mm -hmm. um so maybe so if they if they want to shoot big and kind of pushing all their chips before you know their window the window closes in either 2022 or 2023 Mm -hmm. uh, lizardo's the guy to do that with
1: yeah i agree um or you know money is always an issue as well they could package him with Steven Piscotti, whose contract they want to get out of and that would make a lesser return obviously but it it might work out in some sort of deal where they can you know make the money work if they're picking up another sort of more salaried veteran to help them down the stretch this year I don't know something creative like that I'm sure you know can be discussed Uh, but yeah I think that's a good call um Uh, you know i think lozardo still has all the potential world but man is he is he a starter is a reliever he just doesn't quite have the maturity yet i think he still has to learn who he is and how to pitch i think that's been the main thing he can't just be a thrower um i i i I don't want to begin to analyze him but i do think he's a good (laughs) potential change of scenery candidate
0: yeah and and he could his value despite his struggles is still pretty high it's still one of their best trade pieces yeah um so If they really want to like i said if they want to make a splash he's the guy they they move yeah yep okay is there are there any other names you just want to throw out there (laughs)
1: um no i just you know as a general point don't be surprised people because you know there have been some rumblings lately that you know as we talked about sport prospects at the top you know level of each team those teams don't want to trade those guys they don't want to trade their top prospects and if a team is looking to okay so then you think okay it's the middle and lower tier as we've said which we've started to see a bit of moving lately um, but if that isn't a match then they say okay what about on the major league roster can we make some moves there so I've seen some rumblings that there's talks about a major leaguer for a major leaguer and you wouldn't normally think about that at this time it's typically buyers are are selling prospects and you know sellers you know but it's it's gonna it could easily go one way so don't be surprised if we see some major league names in general which is what we've just been talking about obviously but i think there's some rumblings that this could happen this deadline because things are kind of you know stuck you know because you know especially you know a guy like aj preller in san diego might want to make a big splash he's like you know, he's looking at joey gallo but he doesn't want to trade his best prospects he's already traded most of the middle tier so what does he got to work with so then he might you know find a creative way to trade a major leaguer to get him so i uh, you know a lot of a lot of interesting things are going to happen the next week
0: i also uh, if we're giving out recommendations right now for how to kind of consume the trade deadline here i'd also recommend to take a lot of a lot of uh News, if you get, if you see news or rumors that doesn't make much sense, take it with a grain of salt. Absolutely. We went into that, I believe, last week or the week before, talking about the rumor that, oh, the Rockies might hold on to Trevor's story. Like, take that with a, we we discussed why that might have a little bit more weight to it than the typical, like, kind of posturing rumor because the Rockies' front office is such a mess. Uh, But in general, those type of things, take them with a grain of salt. Like, like we, It makes sense that a team like the Twins is more likely to hang on to Byron Buxton and Jose Barrios, yeah. But if you see that, oh, the Pirates might hang on to Adam Frazier, I'd say you'd take that with a grain of salt. There's no real reason for them to do so. Um, Along those same lines, we discussed in an earlier episode, (laughs) Scott Boris and Max Scherzer. Mm -hmm. And that Boris was threatening that for Scherzer to... um, To... uh, of his no trade clause the the team would have to negotiate an extension with him uh, the acquiring team and he walked that back pretty aggressively the other day he said he clarify quote unquote clarified I don't, I don't know if it's an actual clarification or if he's you know actually walking it back and, and kind of gaslighting a little bit but he said like oh i didn't i just meant uh some sort of a contract negotiation would have to take place not necessarily for an extension but there's things like you know Cost of travel, cost of moving, um, other expenses like that that can be negotiated that one of the teams pays those instead of Scherzer. So yeah,
1: he's he's looking after his guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, but he se- that seems to kind of you know if you if you took his first thing at face value you'd say oh there's no way Max Scherzer's getting traded at all he's nobody's gonna. We've talked about how complicated of a situation it is and how much money's on the deal, the deferrals, all that, how difficult it's going to be for him to be traded. When you tack on the fact that, oh, yeah, you got to give him another couple years on his deal into his late 30s, early 40s, that just kind of makes a deal almost impossible. But if we're taking that off the table then, you know, maybe the possibility opens up a little bit more. And it's going to, like we've discussed in the past, it's going to depend a lot on Washington's performance and if they had enough time to really sort out the financials with any teams here and, and the no trade clause and all of that. So still probably unlikely he's moved. But the whole point here is is everybody, every rumor that gets out is for a reason. Um, Every rumor that leaks, whether it's something straight from Scott Boris's mouth or if it's, you know, something that an agent might have leaked or a front office exec might have leaked to John Heyman or whoever on Twitter, keep in mind that they were leaked for a reason. And sometimes it's just like, yeah, he's got a good relationship with this reporter. And so he's, you know, they help each other out a little bit here. Other times it's posturing, it's they want to kind of manipulate the market a little bit by letting certain things tease out like, oh, you know, if we don't get the offer we want, we're hanging on to whoever. So up your offers. Um, So just keep keep that in mind. Take every rumor that doesn't make sense at face value with a grain of salt.
1: Yeah, the one that I really raised my eyebrows about was... um... Was Nelson Cruz to a National League team? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I well, he's 41. Was... He hasn't played the outfield in over three years. I I think that's an agent trying to drum, or a rival team maybe trying to up. You know, it it made no no. Maybe I'm... you can say that that made the Rays act a little faster, but I mm-hmm. found it hard to believe.
0: Well, I did. You get a chance to read Rosenthal's notes from pretty late last night. You were, it was probably. <laughs> Maybe a time difference, probably <clears throat> okay. might not uh, have gotten to it, but he reported yeah. that the Padres were heavily interested and that they had talked, uh, that players had reached out to Cruz to tell him that the uh, team was yeah. interested right. and that they had kind of been toying with the idea of him at first or second base, which is wild. <laughs> but, what? <laughs> but I wouldn't put it past the Padres, would you? Yeah. <laughs> no. Like, yeah. What, you're talking about them getting creative to, to add another bat. Well, there it is. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, okay, there, the, which raises a lot of other questions about, like, the value of defense in this market, in, in mm-hmm. any market. We've seen decline steadily, so it was shifting and TTO and all that. It's really the bat that matters, right? And so, mm-hmm. like, maybe you just stick a guy out there, even though he obviously can't play defense. And so just because you love his bat. I mean, that's an extreme example, but, I, I, okay. <laughs> uh,
0: I, there's some, <laughs> to be fair, Nelson Cruz, despite being a DH, he is an athlete. He, uh, I'm blanking on the stat off the top of my head, but I think he has as many infield hits since Trout's debut as Trout does or yeah. something crazy right. like that. Or maybe it's just for his career he has as many infield hits, but he gets a random amount of infield hits. He's stolen three bases this year. He has, like, 40th percentile sprint speed or something like that. And so, like, you know, maybe you could, like, if you're hiding him in the shift, he could fake it at second. But, like, <laughs> in some situations, like, we're talking, like, lefty on the mound so the other lineup is right-handed heavy so there's going to be more ground balls to the shortstop and third base yeah, and less to right. second base like you're talking about very specific situations here it's the point where it's like okay maybe this is stupid maybe we just <laughs> go get someone else instead that's gonna be a lot yeah. less <laughs> a lot less work for us to use yeah um,
1: i'd love but... to see nelson cruz turn a double play <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs>
0: Can you see him getting like taken out at second on a slide? Like, oh God! Yeah. I think I think that would I think the earth would quake. <laughs> <from> <laughs> such a large man.
1: Just, <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, no. No. Please. No. No. This is not happening. <laughs> so I, I, I think you were
0: that Padre's weirdness aside. I think you were right to say. I think the report that came out was multiple NL teams have looked at using him in the right. outfield. And I don't know. I don't know how much I believe in that. Yeah. Um. But I I think I do believe in the Padres trying to get really weird and and the Rays feeling that pressure and maybe moving a little quicker. All right. Fair enough. (laughs) All right. So that's kind of a a little bit of the meat of the episode right there. But we have some more news to get to. um, A few more. We have your trade of the week and a few other things to touch on here, but a little smaller. Uh, Let's start out with actually another one that kind of caught me off guard. The White Sox extended Lance Lynn. Uh, for two years, $38 million and a third year club option there. And he's been very, very good for them. Uh, he was going to be a free agent after the season. I'm a little surprised he didn't test the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you figure, you know, if he likes the fit there and he has had a bit of an up and down career, you know, maybe just don't gamble it, take that set money. I think it's a really, really good deal for the White Sox mm-hmm. to lock in a guy like that, where even, even if he does kind of regress to what he used to be, what he used to be was a solid, like, fourth starter innings eater. And those, those are costing more and more these days, maybe not 17 million a year, but you know, those can go for 10, 12 million. So yes. that's not, this is, this is a very affordable extension, even if things go south. And if he keeps pitching at the level he has been, especially this year, but even just going back to his last couple of years in Texas, if he keeps that up, it's, it's a bargain.
1: Totally. It's a bargain for the White Sox because they've got some surplus value here because he's obviously turned a corner. He's peaking. He's uh, been a young candidate the last couple of years, including this year. Um, and uh, and they want to lock him in. I think they probably convinced him because they clearly are on the upswing. They're obviously going to win the AL Central this year and have a good shot of doing it the next couple of years and maybe being a World Series contender. So I figured, OK, I'm going to ride this wave. I'm going I'm to stay here. Um, and he's 34, right? So <laughs> testing the market at age 34 – you know, I don't know how many, how much better you're gonna get. So, uh, I think it's a win-win for both sides.
0: Yeah, and obviously no massive trade implications there, but just kind of yeah to look back at the trade there that we had as being almost perfectly even, if I if I recall. Mm-hmm. Um, Dane Dunning has actually been pretty solid for the Rangers, and they'll have him around for a while. So, as, yeah. you know, as as controversial as the trade was because the Rangers weren't able to trade Lynn at the deadline last year um, and we went into that about he was kind of leveraging you know the covid opt out as kind of a no trade clause saying if you don't see right. me where i want i'm just going to opt out of the season right um so we, we talked about kind of that controversy but and we we kind of decided that despite that texas still did well in it and it does look like that but it also looks like lynn has really just turned it up another notch and the white Sox have something really special there and they get to hang on to him for two maybe three more years
1: yeah um so they, they've got a really strong I mean, uh, rodon's probably the next one obviously because i think he's only on a one year contract but mm-hmm. um yeah so now they're set up for at least lynn G- giolito keichel dylan cease has been pitching very well so there's strong four there and i think retain rodon there's a strong five mm-hmm. so for next year after uh, you know this year as well as you know the future so yeah they're 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 locking them in
0: i know <laughs> we're going on another quick tangent here i know that every season there's big stories, there's you know the the comebacks, the underdogs, whatever. does it feel to you like there are more like giant stories, like awesome stories <clears throat> in baseball than usual this year? Like yeah. obviously Otani, this is gonna be remembered as the Otani season, I think. Mm-hmm. Of he's just doing this, he's breaking records every single day, doing things that haven't been done <laughs> ever. Um But you think about, you know, the Trey Mancini comeback is a great story Mm -hmm. and Carlos Rodon is Mm -hmm. insane. I -hmm. do not understand it at all. I don't either. (laughs) He's so good.
1: I don't know what he fixed. I haven't looked into it too closely, but he clearly figured something out, and he's been mm-hmm. amazing ever since. Because I, I
0: mean, think we scratched our heads at that signing yeah, on the podcast. I think, every, we like, I oh, think everybody did, because yeah. he
1: was terrible the last couple of years.
0: Mm-hmm. <clears> and and everyone was expecting bigger from, oh, the White Sox are making this big push. They're going to add mm-hmm. you know, one of these mid-to-frontline type guys, and they go, no, bargain bin, I think it was a $2 million contract or something mm-hmm. like that for Rodon, and... I think it's worked pretty well. He's, oh my God. His velo's way up, his ERA's way way down, and he it looks legit. It, it's it's incredible. It's really yeah. it's really fun to watch uh, yeah. when a guy like that, who by all accounts also is very very likable, um, but having such a great comeback story like that
1: yeah and you it makes you wonder like you know he was a he was a uh former you know high first round draft pick mm-hmm. right and i wonder if mentally he had all this pressure on him to be the guy you know and it didn't quite work out and so then when all was lost and he had nothing to lose then he changes something and now there was no pressure whatsoever so it was all anything he adds his gravy it was like okay now i can pitch the way i want it. i don't know total speculation um but, but that's, that's sort of the narrative that I can see there.
0: <clears throat> he did also get a, I believe he was pretty expedited to the big leagues. Mm, yeah. Um, like he, he might not have had as much triple A growth really as, yeah. as the typical prospect and especially as the typical top prospects. So maybe that had a little bit to do with it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I was just, I was just, so he's only 28 because of mm-hmm. how early he got to the big leagues. He, was drafted in 2014, third overall pick, and debuted in 2015. And it wasn't just a cup of coffee debut. He threw 139 big league innings in 2015. So, yeah, he yeah. was really fast-tracked there. Yeah, right. um, and, and sometimes that works for guys, and sometimes it really doesn't. And for him, it seems like it took him a while to get back on track.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: I'm also just going to add really quick, um, as as an uh, aside, because I, I don't understand it. It's not like he was... I'm I'm checking MLB Trade Rumor's Twitter right now because we've had it in the past where news breaks while we're watching, or while we're recording an episode here. Um, Some reason the second most searched name on Fangraphs right now, you know how they have like 10 trending names or whatever? Number two is Kwang Hyun Kim. There you go! And I was like, to to. Is John Nostradamus here? He <laughs> and I'm it... telling you, I know
1: nothing of any sort of rumors. I was just uh-huh. uh, pulling that out of thin air, basically. Uh, I, I noticed not... that he's pitching well, and as I said earlier, mm. if the Cardinals are out, he's a chip. So maybe yeah. something's happening. I, I'm uh-huh. not
0: seeing anything on MLB trade rumors, um, and they they're usually good about getting things posted pretty quick. Um, and I I haven't even seen any like substantial rumors to them. So maybe there's I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's uh, something going on. Maybe there isn't. Maybe it's just weird trend data. Who knows? Keep an eye on it. Okay. All right. (laughs) Um, Going a little quicker here into some of the more minor transactions. Uh, The Braves and the D-backs made a trade. Uh, Veteran catcher Stephen Vogt heading to Atlanta in exchange for first baseman Mason Byrne. Uh, This is just another one of those, we talked about the Jock Peterson trade last week of the Braves, kind of a bubble team, and just deciding to go for it, but with rentals that aren't going to cost them much, they'll take on some salary, give up some lesser prospects, and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Vote is completely along those lines. We had him at negative 1.1 in field value, so underwater a little bit. We had Burn at just 0.1, so there is a bit of a gap there, but it's still within reason, you know, Mm -hmm. within our margin of of error there, Mm -hmm. and it just gives the Braves another option at catcher while they wait for Travis Darnot to come back. If he does come back this season, he had a torn ligament in his hand and he's been injured pretty much the whole year. And they really didn't have a whole lot behind him. They've been shuffling, you know, Jeff Mathis and Kevin Smith and Jonathan Lucroy and Alex Jackson and William Contreras and all these guys that aren't <laughs> weren't inspiring any confidence in this team and, and contributed a little bit to their status as a bubble team, despite entering the season as one of the NLE's favorites. So vote isn't going to set the world on fire, but he's a reliable veteran, good clubhouse guy, and he costs pretty much nothing more than salary. There you go. Okay, then Billy McKinney continues his trip around the National (laughs) League this season. Um, Dodgers acquired McKinney from the Mets for outfield prospect Carlos Rincon. Uh, We had McKinney at 1.4 million in trade value and Cohen at just 0. 0.2. So there is a gap there. Um, I think it would be safe to say that maybe the model is a little bit high on McKinney, just given how often he's been DFA and traded mm-hmm. and everything. But on mm-hmm. the flip side of that, you know, there's always a team lining up to go get him mm-hmm. and to give up a little something for him, not just a straight waiver claim. So yeah, maybe there is a little value there still.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I mean, you know, he's out of options, which is why he keeps bouncing around. And, but he's mm-hmm. been, you know, a little bit productive, just enough to say, Hmm, I could, stash that guy you know that's what the Mets did with him and that's what the Dodgers are thinking too so there's a little bit of something there um and you know I think he's only 26 or so so you could even argue there might be a little bit upside former first round draft pick so you know it's not the worst stab in the world um so yeah but um I mean the numbers are the show that he's got a little you know he's a little bit productive so um and then you know when you're DFA'd You got no leverage, so uh, they take what they can get, or, you know, he's a waiver claim, so they took what they could get.
0: To me, it's, we've talked about it before with the Rays, when the Rays pick up any reliever, any pitcher, to be honest, but especially relievers, I'm, my interest is peaked, and it's kind of along the same lines with the Dodgers and Mm -hmm. these kind of post-prospect hitters, you know, the Justin Turners of the world, where, Mm -hmm. and the Max Muncies, they just have such a good track record of turning these guys that were, you know, Max Muncie was a wasn't a top prospect, but he was a notable prospect. I think Turner was as well. Um, Billy McKinney was a first-round pick by the A's mm-hmm. way back when, um, and he's been traded a, a thousand times since then. But y- you got to assume there's a little bit of upside left in there, and he's still, you know, hitting at an almost league-average level this season, you know, a little bit below. And so you maybe, maybe there's a little bit something there. Right. I don't know if, if there's any team that I would trust to get something out of him. It's the Dodgers. I mean, they've they've gotten something out of Albert Pujols when we all thought he was cooked. Mm-hmm. But still, probably not a lot, but just a guy to keep an eye on, I'd say. Yep. Okay, Royals acquired reliever Joel piamps from the Blue Jays in exchange for cash considerations. Uh, Pi amps we had at zero at 1.2, so we have a cash estimated at 0. 0.6. Who no, knows? Um, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll probably never know. Yeah, <laughs> um, <right. Pi> amps, <laughs> you know, just a reliever. Um I believe a 40-man crunch type situation. He had uh he had been pitching well for Toronto results wise, but mm-hmm. his peripherals did not back it up at all mm-hmm. and he was, you know, a 40-man uh a 40-man crunch victim there. So he was DFA'd by Toronto and now the Royals just add another semi-intriguing relief arm um with one option or I guess he's in his last option year. Yeah. Um, right. So he's at least got a little bit of flexibility for this season before they have to make a decision on him
1: yeah he's another guy that is like yeah i can see something you know there's he's a little bit intriguing so why not give it a shot with mm-hmm. the royals that's why he keeps bouncing around and you can see these guys who get you know either dfa would or traded for cash considerations and, and you know dfa would and claim i should say or traded there like there's levels of interest there there's the dfa that no one wants <clears throat> there's the dfa that someone claims which means there's a teeny bit of value. And there's a DFA that, okay, somebody gives up a little something for, which yeah. is a teeny bit more bit of value. So, like, they're non-zero guys, right? So, that's why somebody gave up something for them. So, it's not it's not like there's nothing there.
0: <clears throat> Alright. Pirates acquired a left-handed pitcher Dylan Peters from the Angels in exchange for cash consideration. Here's another one. <laughs> yeah. I don't... <laughs> it seems like the Pirates are accumulating a bunch of, like, lower velo sinker baller type guys, and it's just... Did I know Ben Charrington's been, like, out of the front office for a couple of years, but has he been watching baseball? Like, does he... <laughs> <laughs> that, that jokes aside, I, I know Charrington is good at his job, but it just seems like they keep acquiring these guys, you know, the Tyler Andersons, mm-hmm. even Richard Rodriguez to an extent, but... I don't know. He's he's just a depth arm. We have him at 0.1 million in trade value, so we have the cash estimated at 0.1, and that's kind of that. It's yeah. He's probably not a name you'll hear again until the Pirates DFA him. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and then last one is a bit of a weird one to reconcile. Um, if I could find it on the sheet, because it's even in a weird spot in our spreadsheet here. Uh, so the Red Sox completed... Uh, the Red Sox and Phillies, excuse me, completed the CJ Chatham trade. Oh, right. Trade. Um, which was a weird Rule 5 thing, right? Mm. I think. Um, I It was in January. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I think... No, 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 I'm mixing him up with... Uh, uh, who was the infielder that the Phillies picked in the Rule 5 draft and traded to the Reds, the shortstop? Um, he was from the Yankees. John, help me. <laughs> um, um, uh,
1: Holder? Glove.
0: Yeah, Kyle Holder. Kyle okay, Holder. I, I was, I was mixing yeah. Chatham with uh, <clears throat> Okay,
1: yeah, he over. was a role five guy.
0: Yeah, but this was just a you know, a trade for a player to be named later. Yeah. Um and, and the, okay. Chatham at the time we had listed at one point nine million. Um and Victor Santos, who is the player to be named later, return uh, heading to the Red Sox, uh we have currently at zero point three. We also have Chatham currently at zero point three, so a oh. bit of a weird one to reconcile there. Um I don't really know what to make of it, but it's just kind of. <laughs> Chatham had a had a weird situation this season where, his uh, his value really tanked because he really just yeah. didn't do anything, and so <laughs> yeah. it's hard to it's hard to fully gauge what happened as far as the player to be named later perspective of that. If there were bigger names that it's like, no, no, he's been bad for us this year. We're not doing that guy now, or how exactly that worked <laughs> out. Um, but yeah, yeah. this one's done. We don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah,
1: <laughs> no, I mean, it, it seems clear that Chatham um the industry is kind of soured on it. like they don't think he can hit you know he can play the easy utility guy clearly and mm-hmm. there's not much bat there so yeah he's gonna bounce
0: <clears throat> okay um we have a trade of the week now <laughs> we're done with all the news time for the trade of the week um and speaking of the pirates and their sinker ballers and tyler anderson and richard rodriguez they're both in this trade uh, so this is from user Drew2000, who has the Blue Jays acquiring Anderson, or Tyler Anderson, who we have at $1.7 million in median trade value, and Richard Rodriguez at $11.3 million. In exchange for three prospects, uh, I am having trouble pulling up the names, there it is, <laughs> McGill Geraldo, third baseman, $8.5 million in trade value, CJ Van Eyck, $3.3 million in trade value, right-handed pitcher, and outfielder DeSan Brown at $1.6 million in trade value. So at the uh at the time of recording here this deal has 11 thumbs up and 0 thumbs down for the pirates 7 up and 1 down for the blue jays uh, the blue jays very obviously need pitching and i think tyler anderson kind of fits this like back end type mold that they kind of prioritized in the off season mm. with mixed results um he seems tyler anderson is one of the most likely players to be traded um in in the game right now just because he's a semi-reliable innings eater type back-end starter on an expiring contract on a horrible team and so someone's going to take him there were reports that the Mets were interested but they just acquired Rich Hill so that probably takes them out of that conversation um but the Blue Jays need all the pitching they can get and Rodriguez is one of the top relievers on the market he's been Pittsburgh's closer um but Probably wouldn't slot in in that role with a lot of other teams. He is a, a primary sinker ball type guy. Doesn't doesn't miss a whole lot of bats, but he has been very successful anyway. We, As I mentioned, we have him at 11.3, and he's been very highly sought after by a lot of teams reportedly. And he, seems, he also seems like a lock to get traded at the deadline, even though he has two and a half years of team control. And Toronto has a pretty... They're pretty deep in that mid-tier of their farm system right now. And so they can afford to give up a Geraldo who's pretty blocked at third, uh, on the infield in general by some of uh, Toronto's mega talents, as well as the big prospects that are kind of the next wave, the Jordan Groshans of the world. So um, he's the headliner here. He's a good get for the, He would be a good get for the Pirates, but he's pretty expendable to the Blue Jays, I would say.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, my take on this Um We've noticed that, uh, at least I've noticed, that CJ Van Eyck and Miguel Geraldo seem to be in a lot of trade proposals. And I don't know if that's Blue Jays fans thinking, yeah, we want to get some, you know, we want to improve our team. And these guys are expendable, and maybe because they're (coughs) they're blocked, um, it's possible. But it also sort of shows the point where you know teams may be reluctant to trade their top tier of guys, but these are the middle tier guys, right? So Geraldo's kind of you know eight's kind of the higher end of the middle tier, but nonetheless, Van Eyck three point three. So these are the kind of guys that I think maybe our 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 users are thinking, okay, yeah, I could move those guys, and so I think that's fine. Um, The one thing I sort of question is i think the pirates now have a lot of quantity in their farm i think they would be looking for quality and i guess you could say geraldo is he's at 8.5 so maybe there's a lead piece so never mind uh, but uh, you know i've seen some pr- trade proposals with adam fraser in it with like there's a lot of threes and fours and I'm like no oh, they probably don't need any more threes and fours they want a 10 you know so for, for Frazier at least so um you know, so I think this one's close. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, assuming the Blue Jays are still in it and still trying to go for it, because that's still a question, they're still a bubble team, then this makes total sense. Um, and I, th- I think the values match up. I think it's relatively realistic, which is why we featured it. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I think uh, this goes back a little bit, again, to the whole 40-man crunch issue, where you mentioned last week that it kind of caught you off guard how many guys Cleveland had. Mm-hmm. that needed to be protected and how much of a crunch they were really headed for. Mm-hmm. But I think Cleveland's probably known, you, you'd assume they would have known for a year or two that, mm-hmm. hey, we forecasted this out. This is how this might look. We might need to start thinking about this ahead of time so we don't acquire all of these guys. And then a year later, oh shoot, we got to protect them all. Mm-hmm. We should have acquired someone else that would have been you know, protected later. Um, and so I think the Pirates might be in that stage right now where they don't have a crunch yet especially because they have a lot of expendable pieces on the big league roster and, and their depth and everything that could be cut from the 40-man without too much issue. Um, but, you know, they have been acquiring a lot of quantity in their trades that they've made. And so uh, if, if a lot of them are kind of these threes, fours type guys, those are the ones that are kind of in that gray area that we talked about for rule, for a uh, 40-man roster protection rule five. So, yeah, yeah, I think you're right here. Maybe, that is, maybe it is more likely... They target either a single headliner or Geraldo and one other valuable piece or something like that, and maybe don't go, maybe shoot a little bit more. They have been shooting more quantity over quality in their trades in the off-season. Maybe now at the deadline, they shift that around, go a little bit more quality over quantity. Yeah,
1: that's what I'm thinking.
0: Yeah. But I think, I think the basic framework makes a lot of sense. Anderson and Rodriguez as a package makes a lot of sense, because... Every team could use two arms really there's there aren't many teams that are so set in the rotation that they couldn't use anderson for at least as at least a swing man or something right Um, so i think the package heading to toronto is pretty solid and it fits their needs really well and i think they gave up only expendable pieces to pittsburgh but maybe different expendable pieces should be subbed in
1: yeah now the one other sort of point i would make is around richard rodriguez um you know, he's been obviously, you know, a name that's been bitted about. But when I updated him recently, I noticed that he'd gone down a tick from 12-ish to 11-ish. And uh, that's because his performance has started to slip a little bit. And I know people have been wondering whether the uh, Sticky Stuff crackdown has impacted him a little bit. And so you start to wonder, um, how solid is that number? Like, how much, like, is he going to be the same pitcher going forward as he was? There's a little bit of a question there with him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: that's yeah that, that's very fair yeah uh but i also think that the upper end of the relief market is kind of thin it is it's really as, as yeah. far as a talent perspective not necessarily a, a surplus perspective but as a yep. talent perspective it's kind of kimbrel rodriguez and then a, a, a drop-off yes there's someone i'm missing here yeah um so i think that might there, there there's gonna have to be a team that says despite these concerns we're going to pay market value for him because we just need this kind of talent yeah, in, our, yeah. in our
1: bullpen so essentially those two concerns offset yeah yeah
0: okay so that's um that's it for our trade of the week thank you so much again to drew 2000 um i believe the last thing we have for today is you wanted to talk about the fan trade value series
1: <clears throat> right so those of you who Go to fan graphs as we do all the time have noticed that you know first of all kudos to them because they started this very popular series years ago and they've done yeah. a great job with it and so i have no issue whatsoever with that and we're sort of the newcomers and they're sort of the you know the ones who established that so all, all good news to them um, and
0: additionally a lot of the kind of ideals and and some of the specific systems as well for our site were kind of built off or influenced by fan graphs in the first place so sure we, absolutely we are in, in no means considering ourselves high and above them or anything along those lines
1: no no i'll respect them okay um <clears throat> so um i just wanted to comment on a couple of points here first of all you know because they've had a turnover of writers the authoring of that has been changed a year it seems it seems like every other year now um and so <clears throat> this year was no different and with that they've changed the approach of it so it starts to make you wonder okay which which approach is it? By and large, their approach has been um, talk to front office executives, add some subjectivity, and kind of mix it all together. And that's they've been very open about that's what they did this year as well. Um, our approach has been very much data driven, very much focused on surplus, um, and we found a, cor- a strong correlation to the market in doing so. We're not always right, but you know we're not always you know we're reasonably close on everything we're a little off once in a while but i think for the most part the correlation line is very strong um you know so there's that second point they mentioned this year uh kevin goldstein and ben clemens the authors of it said they're focused on the maximum value Uh, Which is fair, because if you think about it from kind of an auctioning perspective, and here we are in trade deadline period, you know, the the best offer usually wins. You know, the team that's Mm -hmm. that's selling something is going to go with the highest bidder. So I think that's valid. Um, But I think also that's valid mostly with these top echelon guys. They're only focusing on the top 50, remember. So these are all stars. These are all highly valued players. So, yes, for a highly valued player, you're going to pay up for them and and beat the market. All the rest of the trades, though, are sort of, you know, through the rest of the year, and most of the guys who get traded are not in the top 50. They're mostly guys who go for closer to what, what we do, which is median value. Of course, once in a while, somebody overpays. Of course, you know, if there's a bidding war, somebody's going to pay the max. But for the most part, you know, Rich Hill is going to go for median value for, you know, like we just showed. Um, <clears throat> so there's that point. Um, the other sort of interesting thing I thought was, you know, they, they mixed up. You know, field value and surplus value and a little bit of subjectivity into one sort of stew, and it was hard to tell like what the methodology was. And this is not a criticism; it's just an observation that, okay, really? <laughs> I mean, yes. And and we get um, a lot of questions and critiques a lot, saying, "Oh, you shouldn't always be surpl- surplus value focused." You know, Mookie Betts is an example. We haven't met negative value right now because his contract's so big and he's a little bit under it. On the other hand, I would say, what about Nolan Arenado? We were right on that one. He was a big star, and he was undervalued, and the Rockies paid 50 million to get rid of him. So most of the time, what we see in the marketplace bears out what our approach that we do. And I'm again not contrasting our approach with theirs so much, as being a, as saying, you know, we're conscious of field value, and I'm aware that it matters more with star players, and we. You know, give them little adjustments up because of that. Max Scherzer is obviously a big star if he were going on the market. We know that you know people would value his contributions, especially in the pro season, so we would adjust up for that. Um, so we're, in effect, saying, okay, yes, he's going to have higher field value. But we're not saying the field value is the be-all, end-all, as some have sometimes wondered. Um, so <clears throat> I just sort of wanted to comment on that. The approaches are different. Um, final point is, we watch what... Teams do. Um, the fan grass series has always been, you know, what what teams say, and I, 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 both are valid. But I found that watching the market for study for, for a few years now that we have, what they do actually, I would I would argue is more important than what they say because they have agendas and biases and things like that. So, um, and and okay, I'm going to make one more final point. Um, I don't really know at this point. Um like what the end sort of goal of the trade value series at pangrass is other than curiosity uh it's it may be to sort of paint a picture of what the market looks like at the top end and certainly people enjoy it and find it curious and I'm, I'm all about that as well but you know as you noted trade value changes every day in theory it's not a it's not a it's not frozen in time like you can't just say oh let's pick it to you know and say these these are not going to hold these are going to you know their list is going to be outdated a week from now right so you can't just do it once a year and say these are the highest value guys because that might change um and we know this all the time because we're crunching the numbers all the time so so to do it once like a, a question like what is the purpose of this uh at, at this point in time it and you know maybe it's just kind of show like i said um for fun who's the top who are the top guys um, if you look at the top guys on their list, they pretty much match the top guys on our list. It's Tatis, it's Acuna, it's Guerrero, you know, Beavers up there, and you know, for the most part, they align. Okay, so that's good. Um, so, you know, it's fine. <clears throat> um, I will say we got a lot of traffic this week. I noticed because people are comparing them they're saying okay how do these guys match up with the what they say over there which I find is healthy and great and everybody's curious so but we can do this but you can come to our site anytime click on the um, you know the player values uh, (coughs) the uh, highest lowest tab excuse me and that will show you who the highest value players are on our system and you could flip it and say who the lowest values are any time of year uh, it doesn't have to be once a, once a year. So we'll do that all the time. And so I, I realize in doing so, we don't make a big deal out of it and say, hey, here are the top 50 once a year, but you could do that anytime and we could probably make some hay if we did, but we don't really need to. <laughs> so, okay. <clears throat> um, that's my piece. I have
0: two comments. I think you, okay. <laughs> you made a lot of really, really good points there. Um, <clears throat> the first one is just going back really quick to your um, point about the max values mm-hmm. and the why it how it kind of works for this practice but in general wouldn't. Um, the comparison I have there is if you took the top 100 prospects list every year and you listed you took the if you take the top 20-25 guys on this year's list and you sorted them and you instead ranked them by upside I think you have a pretty similar list and it's maybe not the most accurate list overall and it might not be absolutely in descending order okay the first one has the most successful major league career the second one is second so on and so forth uh but it'll be pretty similar to what we already have and it'll you know people might disagree a little bit but it's within the realm of reason right now if you did that with a whole top 100 list or with all of the prospects in baseball that's how a few years ago you would have ended up with anderson espinoza as the number one prospect in Mm -hmm. baseball Mm because massive upside But you have to take into consideration the other factors as well, the risk and and all of that. And so kind of along the same lines, this sort of max value approach works for, as you said, it works for the top 50 guys in the league that are all pretty consensus, super valuable. But if you expand it out, it's nobody's paying, like you said, nobody's paying max value for Rich Hill right now. They're paying the median because there's no massive bidding war over Rich Hill the way there would be if a team... I don't know, Flat right. Guerrero is a bad example because we've talked about how nobody could ever pay what he's worth, but, right. you know, theoretically, the bidding war there would push it up to max value mm-hmm. if, if teams could afford that. So mm-hmm. um, that's point number one. Point number two, as to my kind of best guess of what the value of it is for them, is, uh, of the series is for them, like what their kind of end goal might be, is it kind of does like like obviously their focus is very different from ours as a site-wide year-round thing like we focus on trade values 365 days a year they focus on you know developing the game analytically and analyzing it and and breaking down every little bit um throughout the season every single day and then you know sometimes that includes trade valuation or prospect valuation or whatever um but since they are, their audience is more that kind of general analytics audience, I don't think it hurts every year to have a refresher of like, this is generally how teams value guys. This is generally the, the factors that go into it. And even if we might disagree a little bit on the specific process evaluation, um, which I don't, I, we can't even say we disagree with it because like you mentioned, we don't necessarily know exactly what goes into it on their end. Um, but I think it is still valuable for them to, to post to this large audience that hey money matters hey this is how field value is kind of calculated like that kind of thing mm-hmm. so i think i think there is some value to it mm-hmm. in just educating a more general public on how teams value players for trades and then i think obviously <laughs> that there's a lot of value to us breaking it down even further keeping the numbers updated all the time and keeping kind of a kind of a pulse on the market and the way that things are changing day by day week by week month by month instead of just here's the one list for this year
1: Yeah, exactly both okay, are both have... are legit okay
0: <clears throat> do you have anything else you want to touch on today
1: um just two final minor points um we are as josh mentioned doing uh the updates this weekend the final round i've already started on a couple of pitchers um in the past couple of weeks people have questioned our valuations on some of the cubs pitchers like cali Hendricks, and craig Kimbrell. Both of those guys have gone up. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, so so it's strictly a matter of the numbers. You know, Hendrix has continued to pitch well. And as I said last time I defended our number, hey, if he continues to pitch well, he's going to go up. But sure enough, that's what's happened. Kimbrel, same thing. He's climbed out of negative value. And we had him at zero for a while. Then we had him at two. Now he's at six. And as the numbers keep going, and as, you know, the performance numbers are going higher than... The salary number is going down, and so so the the equation is shifting a little bit in favor of the, the pitcher. Now we're still getting comments like, "Oh, you're way too low on both of those guys." Uh, it, you know, you know, like we just said, it's you know, this is what they are today. It could be, you know, it, it was different than it was two weeks ago, and you know, by next Friday we're not going to change it after this, but you know, but we think we're we're reasonably close. Um, I don't see Kimberl going a whole lot higher than the six that we have him. That already feels like max value, given that he's making 16 million a year this year with the option for that next year. That's a whole lot of money to pay for a reliever. Um, the highest any reliever, as I've said before, has been paid in history is 18 million a year. So you could say, okay, well, this is softer capital. If you know, if somebody's got prospects to burn, sure, okay, overpay. But it's hard to see him going much, um, much higher than this for me, anyway. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. But but it, this feels like really high end of the market with him because you got to take on all that salary. I can see you know Chicago kicking in more to get more out of him, and that's the most likely scenario I think. Um, Hendricks, I don't think is going to get moved, but he is back in positive territory, so good for him. Mm-hmm.
0: I think, and this is something a lot of people forget, and even myself a lot of the time while I'm performing some of these updates, is like the system has just been very successful overall since we launched it and granted that's come with a lot of tweaks that we've had to make you know as as we learn about oh how much rule five eligibility really impacts your value or oh how much the second base market has cratered or whatever Mm -hmm. we still are learning constantly and adjusting the model all the time but on on the basis the baseline model works really well in a lot and it has historically worked really well in a lot of cases and so the more we fudge the numbers because Craig Kimbrell feels like he should be higher or Kyle Hendricks feels like he should be higher then the less reason there is for the model in the first place. Right, and right. The, re- the less there is that differentiates us from Joe blow on Twitter saying I'm getting, I'm going to get trout for <laughs> Glaber Torres, Gary Sanchez and Clint Frazier. Right. Like the, the whole, the whole basis of, of, what we do is the model right. and we're going to fall back on the model 99 times out of a hundred mm-hmm. because the numbers to this point, I mean, the numbers don't lie and to this point, the numbers in the way that we've entered them into the model have been very successful in producing, you know, accepted trades and, and reflecting real life deals and stuff like that. So we're always listening on edge cases. We're always, we, we do have, as we've mentioned, some subjective adjustments that we make for, positional flexibility for the market for injury risk for performance for minor leaguers stuff Mm -hmm. like that there's always going to be some level of subjectivity involved because just plugging a war number and whatever else into a system isn't going to tell you the full picture ever Mm -hmm.
1: right yep but
0: we're listening on the edges we're not listening on bumping (laughs) kyle uh, on forcibly bumping craig kimbrell from a zero to a 20 because you think he's worth this prospect right and yeah, so we always just fall back on the, on the numbers. And if the numbers are proven wrong, that's fine. We can go back and, and fix the, the model a little bit. But that's better than, oh, our gut was proven wrong. Oops.
1: Yeah, so. right. You got to have a methodology, and our methodology seems to be sound. So, yeah, absolutely agree with that point. I um, yeah. you know we're tooting our own horn here, but 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 I mean, there is an important point here. We're not just making this up. We have a system. The system seems to correlate well to the market. It's not perfect. It's meant to be more of a guideline. There's going to be a little over, a little under once in a while, but more or less in the aggregate, it's going to correlate very well, as we've shown in our check out our history page. You can see the results. Um, and then secondly, to your point, we're always Looking at, and whenever we're, if we're off on a trade, like what did we do wrong? What can we learn from that? And we're always tweaking and making it better. So, he's, he, you know, we've been up for two years now. Each time that happens, we, 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 we look at our, our model and say, uh, did we miss something? Oh, okay. If we see enough of that, then we'll notice a pattern like second base market, not so good. <laughs> and so like, we'll you know, we'll make adjustments as we go. So, um, so it's continually. We're going to continue to try to make it as robust what's already robust and we're going to continue to be humble about it and observant about it to make it even better
0: yeah and we always want to explain why things are the way they are as as thoroughly as we can um it's just just looking at kind of our twitter threads when we explain when a trade goes through um and especially if we explain one that is rejected by our model so you know thinking the nelson cruz trade right here that was even if you remove the human error of of just the, the misentered code for, for Joe Ryan's value, it was still, yeah, it was still a slight to moderate overpay by the raise. And so you can either perceive that as an overpay, you can perceive that as, oh, this might be, we might have been a little high on this, low on this, whatever, but we're always going to explain our best guess as to what it is, and we're never going to be afraid to say, yeah, we made a bit of a mistake here, or yeah, the model's a little bit off here, we need to tweak it, because we're yeah. always, like you said, we don't think we're... The law of the land. We we don't think we're perfect, and the model is perfect. We're always looking to improve it, but it's just we need more than a single data point. We need more than a single gut feeling that Craig Kimbrell should be higher or whoever to really to make a, a system wide um, adjustment there improvement. So yeah,
1: exactly. And final point is we do all this by hand, so of course there's gonna yeah. be human error once in a while. Yeah. Yeah that's me i made an error on the joe ryan one um mm-hmm. <clears throat> but i mean you know it is a lot of work and we have an auto- automated processes that probably should be automated at some point but we're crunching numbers by hand and we're occasionally gonna gonna oops it so um uh, bear that in mind. <clears throat> yeah
0: bear with us <laughs> all right before we close out here i just want to announce one last time so monday july 26th we will be live streaming on youtube the link will be posted on twitter it will be in the show notes here updated once we get the link set up and everything um we'll probably post it somewhere on the website itself as well maybe just a quick article post kind of announcing it um that will be monday july 26th 4 p.m pacific time 7 p.m eastern if you're in between there figure it out yourself <laughs> um, It'll it'll be a lot of fun probably just going to go about an hour you know Work out the technical kinks, have some fun, break down one of those, uh, one of those trade proposal articles that we love to kind of dunk on every now and then. Um, update on any news that might have broken over the weekend. But yeah, it should be a really good time. I hope to see a whole lot of you guys there. Um, and and if that goes well, then like I said, we'll have another one coming up on uh, Friday, trade, de- trade deadline day. And we'll have more information on that um, probably after Monday, once we get an idea of how things are gonna look. Sounds good to so. me. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to what this week's going to bring. It's going to be real busy, but it's always going to be real fun. So that'll do it for us for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Make sure you are following us on Twitter so you don't miss any of the information about our live streams and any other coverage this week. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back next week at some (laughs) to-be-determined date to recap the trade deadline everything that's happened this week or we might even be back a little sooner the schedule's a little bit flexible this week so just stay tuned stay on twitter keep your eyes on your uh, rss feeds and uh, you'll see a new episode from us sometime in the next week or so so until then stay safe and enjoy (laughs) one of the most fun weeks of the year the trade deadline week thanks john
1: thanks josh